0: Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Are things now clicking for Pochettino's PSG as they put four past a sorry Montpellier? Just how poor are Saint-Etienne after their derby obliteration at the hands of Lyon? And will André Villas-Boas still be Marseille's head coach by the time this podcast has finished recording? These are just some of the questions we'll be asking as we take a look at three of this past weekend's most noteworthy fixtures in France, as well as other key talking points, before ending with this week's Young Player Spotlight on Dijon goalkeeper Anthony Rassiopi, who's been impressing for the Burgundy club this season. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and I'm joined again this week by Eric Devin, Mohamed Ali and Cale Stockwell. Let's jump straight in, guys, if we may, to Sunday night's fixture, uh, as saint etienne hosted Lyon in the derby out. Uh, one of Europe's fiercest and most passionately contested football rivalries. Lyon went into this match after a draw against Rennes and uh, 1-0 loss to Metz, a uh, result which had led some to question the durability of their title charge this season. But they were up against the Saint-Étienne side who had just one win in their previous 17 matches and were missing a number of first-team players due to COVID-19. They say form can go out the window for derbies, but that certainly wasn't the case here as Leon triumphed five nil on the night with doubles from Marcelo and Tino Caduere capped off with an own goal from Denny Buanga uh, after some fine Memphis Depay play. Uh, th- let's start with Leon, if we may, um, Eric, after the match, Rudy Garcia said it was maybe our most complete match. Um, it was an emphatic emphatic victory for Legon. What did you make of their performance?
1: I mean, uh you know I, you can only beat what's in front of you, et cetera, et cetera i, I don't think that uh I don't know that Leon were at, at their best match no i don't I disagree with that actually fairly strongly. I think that um you know two of their goals were from set pieces. Um, you know, and I think that the fact that they basically did the same thing twice shows you where again we're at mentally. Um, it's always good to win a derby. It's always good to win a match comprehensively to get your to get to get one's, a side's confidence back. But I don't necessarily believe that this was you know an especially outstanding result. I mean, given the the number of players that were missing and 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 given how you know how. Well, since to played in the reverse fixture, I think that this was simply a matter of having too many absences and even players coming back from, from COVID-19. I think that, you know, if we look at someone like Timothy Kowodzicek, um, you know, I, I think there are several players who have spoken this season, notably Wissem Ben Yedder of Monaco, for example, about how hard it is to come back from COVID. It's not just the absence from it. It's, it's the, it's the recovery. It's the, uh, you know, restore one's aerobic fitness. So, uh, Ivan Neu was another one who had played and was recovering from COVID. So, you know, if you're playing a team that's kids or players that are half fit um, at best, I, I really don't think that too much can be can be drawn from that. Again, I think that you have, uh, you know, Marcelo doesn't score a lot of goals. good for his confidence. He can be a real asset at set pieces. Uh, Tino Catuera is back among the goals. That's an important thing, too. I think those are the first goals he scored in the calendar year. He, he'd gone three or four matches without scoring. That's important. Uh, to have him as a source of goals once more. But yeah, it it was a fine performance. Um I, I wouldn't say it was amazing. I would say yeah it was opportunistic and it was it was needs must. It was a there's a real gulf in, in quality in terms of the players that Sente had available and I think that just told the tale.
0: Kale, would you would you agree with that? Because certainly, you know, Eric's writing that they were hard hit by by COVID and, and they were clearly outclassed. Um you know was was this a case of 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 sante not not turning up or not being able to turn up based on the players they were missing and and their recent form and confidence in general or or over brilliance from leon you know
2: i don't know i it's always hard to judge is it is it one team being so bad or the other one <clears throat> excuse me just having a really excellent day uh St. Etienne were really, Etienne were really, really bad, like really bad, especially throughout the beginning part of that, that first half. And I think, I think Lyon came ready to play, and I think they identified really quickly that if they could press the back line and they could press some of the, the young midfielders, uh, that they were just going to have such an easy time recovering the ball and keeping the territory and keeping the pressure. And then also, I think you saw that you know, like Eric said, the golf in terms of in terms of just ability and and technique is is so drastic right now. I mean this this Saint Etienne team that that played on Sunday night. There's just not a lot in that eleven. I think there's some young players that look you know decent or could be could be quite good, but at the moment they're they're just not at the level of that. Lyon 11 and I think Lyon just kind of smelled blood and and went for it I, I again I, I I don't think it's their best match of the season I, I think it's probably a little ways off of that they didn't create as much maybe an open play as you would expect given how bad saint were but yeah Saint-Étienne were really bad
0: <laughs> yeah I mean
2: if they made
1: Mathieu Dessilio look good
0: then I think that's it all right. <laughs> yeah. He hit the bar as well. That was with a, with a pretty impressive effort. The, I, I mean, uh, you do have to be bad to make, uh, De look, look impressive. And, and, and Mo coming to you on this one, you know, it was a shocking performance and, and that's now one win in, in 18 games. And, Regardless of the circumstances in in that particular match, in the last match as well, you know, with their with their COVID cases, you surely serious questions do now st- need to start being asked after Claude Puel because he kind of managed to get through that that run earlier on in the season, and then results picked up again in in kind of December time. I think they got that one win against against Bordeaux perhaps at the at the, the latter stages of November. But but you know, this this has got to be kind of the beginning of the end for for his time at Saint Etienne, surely? Yeah,
3: yeah, not even. I think. Um... He he had a bit of an uptick uh, over the summer. You know when COVID sort of um, took a backseat, and they were able to play the cup finals. And obviously they had that good start to to um, to this season with I think two wins and a draw. If I if correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they top of the table at one point as well um, mm. right at the beginning of the season? Um, but then yeah, COVID and no COVID. That's a really shocking um, run. And I think personally that. It's coupled with tactical inefficiency, I think poor player management. I think a couple of players just don't seem to be responding to Puel and, and you know the treatment of um, Stefan Ruffier the, you know the case that's been going on, um, coupled with the club's inability to make long term decisions you know the the guys that in charge Kayazza and ramaya they they are unable to. Really carve out a place in the game for San Are they a club that should be aiming to return to uh, pushing for the Europa League spots, or or what? You know, there's there's no finances available. There's not um, much. Um, I, it's hard to say. You know, volition um, of the direction to 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 improve. They had a close shave last year, um, and I think had it not been, I mean, they're one of the few clubs that I could probably thank. And the coronavirus for, for um, you know, ensuring that they didn't fall into a relegation trap or the playoff trap. And yet 10 months on, they're back to where they are. You know, it's it's a shocking uh, run of form. They are sitting precariously above uh, the playoffs. And again, you know, they had the warning 10 months ago. And I don't think anybody um, in a has really realised that, you know, they the chickens might be coming home to us. They've not been able to make out any plans, any long-term plans, bring in the relevant players, discard a couple of the older guards as well, um, and play. I mean, they perhaps there's not really much they could have done yesterday with that long list of um, absentees, but it's not just that one game. It's 1-18, in 18, as you said, and that goes um, really at the heart of um, Paul's reign. I don't think it will get any better. They've got another couple of difficult runner fixtures coming up um, and this time as, as was the case with Toulouse as was the case with a couple of other teams that go down you know sometimes when you're hovering for several years just above you know once when you don't probably expect it the trapdoor will you know, slam open and that'll be that.
0: They, they, they've been linked with, um, with uh, a striker 23 year old Mustafa Mohamed from, from Zamalek um, apparently, a fee's been agreed for for five million dollars and personal terms sorted, but the the deal is kind of stalling due to issues over over instalments. Is is bringing in a 23 year old striker from Egypt really the kind of signing that that this struggling Sante side need to be making? Eric, surely, you know, Phil's Phil's come on the podcast before Phil Bargiel and spoken about Sante's finances and and you know maybe that's an issue, but surely they need to be looking at bringing in experience to to help out these young players.
1: I mean, Where is that going to come from, you know, given the financial situation we just talked about? I think that, you know, even 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 in the summer, as they had this uh, degressage, as they called it, the um, winnowing of of their high earners, like Savion and Vila, for example, or Lois Dione, um, that that was done out of necessity, not because they didn't think that Mbila couldn't help the team. I mean, he was one of their better players last season, um, but I think that it also shows the dire situation that they're in. And that perhaps a young player from a foreign league won't be won't command the sort of wages that um, that a more experienced player would. And I mean, you know, especially in the January window, you know, we we know this through through our work as as journalists that uh, this is in terms of value the worst time to buy, and especially attacking players. Um, so I think that that you know tying all that together, there's you know really little else. I mean that it, this it's a bit of a punt, but uh you know it's it's probably the best the club can do i i i think again him coming from where he ha- where he is uh it's the wages that probably make this uh, a more attractive proposition than does maybe even his level of talent you know i i don't know i don't think uh you know there's been a of success with Egyptian players in Europe and you know egypt has a, a track record of winning uh the African nations but you know it's it's not exactly I mean, I don't know, maybe they get the next... Uh, oh, who's the guy who played in Germany? Zidane, Mohamed Zidane, right? Uh, it's, yeah, I, I think it's unlikely. Um, and I think that, you know, especially given the way that Sante play, you know, it, it's it's not as if there's a bevy of creative talent that uh, is playing there. I mean, he was playing Neyu essentially as a 10 yesterday when even in leaving, he's been leaving Ashish on the bench. Um, it's almost as if he's he's... You know, play begun to play a more negative situation. I mean, you know, he does play Hamuma, he does play Nardin, but in terms of those two being, uh, for example, creative players, I don't really see that. So, uh, it's it's a bizarre move, but I think it's it's probably the best the board feel that they can do.
0: On the opposite end of things, you have uh, Tino Cadorere, who's continuing to uh, impress for Leon. That's now nine goals in Ligue 1, um two braces in two derbies um, according to the the Get French Football News Twitter account um, who quote L'Equipe he's the uh, he's their highest rated uh, player on averages this season with an average rating of 6.07 Kale, um, I don't think we've we've spoken to you about him um, on the podcast yet what have you made of his of his of his debut season or debut full season in in Ligue 1, having made that move from Ligue 2? Surely he has to go down as one of the most impressive signings uh, of the summer.
2: Yeah, I'm su- I'm surprised, honestly. I've, I felt like he took a little bit of time to kind of I don't know if get up to speed is the right term, but I think he took a little bit of time to adjust to to the top league. But now it seems like he's ready and raring to go. And I, what I love about him is I, he's a great finisher. And when he gets inside the area, he, he goes for goal. Like he just, he wants to score. He he demands the ball and he finishes. And I think when you set that against uh, not to pick on Carl Tokoakambi on the other side, but there's a good example of a guy that gets in a lot of good positions, but very often doesn't finish his looks. And I think with Katawera, what you're seeing is, Okay, if you can put someone that is lethal on the wing with Memphis through the middle, they're going to get their chances. And so long as they can finish their chances, they can statistically have a really good season. So he's been impressive to watch.
0: He really has. um, uh, Another uh, host of attacking players who are doing well are those at Monaco um, more recently. Um, Since the new year, they've been in fine scoring form. They uh, welcomed Marseille on Saturday. Um, The visitors having seen their uh, strong league form completely evaporate, really, since mid-December, since the reverse fixture um, against Monaco, pretty much. Um, They won just once in seven going into this Marseille, including uh, a completely torrid display against struggling Nîmes the week before. Meanwhile, Monaco, I mentioned, uh, had won four of their previous five games and scored 14 goals in that time. Um, in that match, Marseille started brightly with Nemanja Radonjic giving the visitors the lead. However, Monaco grew into the game, turned things around and ran out 3-1 winners, compounding OM's recent woes. We, we spent a lot of time talking about Marseille last time and we'll, we'll, we'll come on to them shortly, of course, but let's focus on on the victors here, uh, Eric, what what did you make of, of of this performance from Monaco?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I think we one thing we don't really tend to talk about uh, as much as we ought to in in, in Paraguayan Liga uh, is depth and options. And I think that uh, the play that Monaco consistently get off their bench uh, is really impressive. You had uh, the free kick from Gabatic, the two assists from um, uh, Golovin. Uh, you know, the options that, that this team have, I know uh, Niko Kovac can be maligned a little bit for not rotating his 11, but, uh, you know, part of why he's doing that perhaps is to give himself these, this consistency of options off the bench. And I think that, you know, the proof's in the pudding there that, you know, if if he feels the match is not going his way, as, as this one was, uh, you know, Marseille looked bright for the first 15 minutes and got that unfortunate goal from adonijic to start things off, but... Um, he can turn to a player like Golovin, who is really a sublime creator, um, or he can bring on a Stefan Javetich, who again, you know, is definitely past his prime, but still, you know, has has the ability to deliver moment of quality when the chips are down. So I think that, you know, it's it's really it's really superior squad management um, on the part of Javatic. I mean, he's he's giving these players enough time to keep them happy, um, and also knows how to deploy them. In a way that doesn't disrupt the team's tactical rhythm, um, and he also has, you know, I think we shouldn't discount this either. Uh, you know, a really well-drilled uh, central midfield that really knits things knits this together. So, if he needs to switch things up, if he needs to adjust tactics on the fly, or if he needs to um, bring players in, he knows he can count on the likes of Choumene and, and Fofana, and and late and and, and also as well uh, ben Yedder and Valand. That these these this quartet in particular. Really lead by example. They work hard. They press. Um, They're you know they 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 play they play with a lot of energy. Uh, They're embodying the principles that that Kovac wants to see, and I think that the results are there. I mean, I think that you know I I think as we see, for example, Lille get back to being involved in Europe, and say if they if they advance in the Europa League, you know, could Monaco if they keep this good form up be be a challenge? I think that. The margins that we saw um, Monaco lose matches by in the season's first half, losing this reverse fixture, for example, or uh, going ahead at away to Ren and coming and, and ending up losing that match, I think that there's a mental fortitude that is being evinced there, that is a product of the team's confidence, um, that's been drilled into them by Kovac and, and, and by experience. Again, these are there's a lot of younger players or players who haven't played in France, like. Look at someone like Kai Enrique. look at someone like Sofian Um, The more experience this team gets, the the more assured it's going to play. Um, and I think Kovac, you know, I, I've had praise for him before this season, and I, I, I continue to praise him. I, I think that he's um, he's really striking the balance very well. Um, he's made some surprising choices, for example, um, bringing in Mari Pan um, in, into defense. But I think that, you know, given the team's form and given the results they've had, it's... It's it's been borne out, he, you know. It, sometimes what he does is unorthodox, and you know, maybe there might be a, a critic or two who might say that you know he doesn't relent enough with this team. But yeah, there's no European football, and you know, maybe the Coupe de France will, will complicate things once it starts for Monaco. But I think for the time being, you know, there was a little bit of a blip in December for this team, but um, the experience and the confidence they have to play against you know so-called bigger sides is is really being borne out right now, and I think that. Um, you know, Monaco are still nipping at the heels of that top three, and I think that's going to continue at pace as the season wears on.
0: Mo, what are, what are your thoughts? Um, uh, in light of, of the performance that you saw at the weekend, but also kind of, as Eric says, the the recent run that the Monaco have been on, um, do, do you feel this is a side who could, um, based on what you've seen and what you see, you know, actually break into that, that top three and, I guess, ultimately that, that, that kind of title-chasing group?
3: Um. Yes, um, although I do something, you'll, you'll find it very, very difficult. I think Monaco um, sometimes do blow hot and cold. You know, they did look uh, particularly good, you know, around the time of the PSG victory, having also uh, won the Cote d'Azur, and that was just after what what we initially had thought was, a, you know, a poor defeat at Lyon, where they sort of shrugged off the cobwebs, one four in the row, and then and then resulted back to losing at home to Lance, at you know, losing at Marseille, losing at Lille as well, and then we thought, that's that. And then since then, as you know, they've gone on, on another really, really good run. So I just think maybe, you know, things are aligning for them. Um, you know, Benyadet and Voland in particular look like a very good partnership, but, you know, the the damage was done this this weekend um, in, in midfield, and I think um, in particular, Trameni and, and Fofana stepped up a notch. I've, I've been a bit critical about them um, earlier on uh, this season, but I think that's where the game was on, particularly um, after those changes as well towards the end of the second half. Um, you know, Lille and Lyon in particular looking so, so good, um, I believe, um, yeah, over the last couple of weeks that uh, I think, I, I you know, I don't know, it will take something additional for Monaco to um, break into that top. Um, top three, and that that essentially means for them to you know not engage in any more slip-ups. They got a very fortunate run-in over the next couple of weeks, and like you said, you know the cup may soon to compl- you know may soon complicate things. But we're entering a period where there's going to be a lot of big games in the league going. You know, um, there's going to be a lot of um, fixture matchups between the top six, and for example, so um, as long as they are still within a shout. I suppose by the end of February, so that gives them about four or five weeks. That's uh, a couple of games leading up to their visit to the Parc de Plants at the end of February. Um, if they can get as much, you know, maximum points from, from those games, you never know, you know, as we saw with Leon last week, it, you know, it takes one game to sort of um, really impact um, a team's title race. And I think it's been perhaps three seasons since we've had four. For strong sides, um, perhaps maybe not fighting for the title, but at least definitely fighting for, for the podium spots. And, you know, that really, really is a massive bonus for the league and, and for viewership as well. So, Monaco are in a very, very good place. And, and like Eric said, you know, they've got a squad that they're able to rotate. Let's see how they've got this on in the next five, five weeks or so.
0: One thing that we we've made... Been- Oh, don't. That's
2: right. <laughs> Sorry. Just to pick up on what Mo was saying, because I agree with a lot of what he said. I think when I watch Monaco, the one thing that really separates uh, the top three from them is just the top three's ability to control a match. And I just don't think that Monaco necessarily has that yet in the same way. I think Lyon and PSG can dictate a match through possession. I think... Lille has the ability to do that and then Lille also have the ability to control a match defensively as well. I mean, you saw against, uh, uh, Ren, they basically gave them nothing, but and didn't have much of the ball, but really dictated how that match was playing. I, I think those two in midfield against, uh, OM were so good, but I still don't think that they really have, you know, what you would call a wheel or like a traditional six that can really own the ball and own play. And I think, they might remain a step below those player, those teams until they can find that. And if I can add just one more thing, I just want to point out uh, the play of Badia Chile because I thought he was the best. For me, he was the best player on the pitch that match. I thought uh, um, Marseille didn't have anything down his flank all game. He completely shut them down, and his passing between the lines was just incredible. I think you're starting to really see that potential that everyone knew he had or. Has uh, starting to really rise to the surface, and getting a look at a defender that's going to be really, really good.
0: Do you think Kale? That's been helped by by Maripan coming into the side. You know, having a player who's maybe a little bit more experienced than than Axel Dizassi, uh next to him. You know, he Dizassi seems to have fallen down the pecking order slightly, and, and Maripan I think has been justifying his selection with his recent performances. Do you think having that experienced head has kind of helped Badiashile come out of his out of his shell? more recently, rather than kind of playing, playing alongside another, you know, very talented, but also kind of relatively young, inexperienced centre defender in in De Sassi?
2: I think it may have helped a bit, but his numbers have been pretty steady since the beginning of the year. I think what really helps him is, um, not again, I really like the way that Chouamini, I'm a big fan of him and Fofana, but Uh, they are not always the most aggressive ball progressors. And I think the way that um, ASM moves along the front line, especially with Diop and the way that Voland and uh, Ben Yedder are really good at dropping and finding little spaces has helped him more in terms of breaking the lines. Like the amount of times that he picks the ball up and just bypasses midfield with those really, nice driven passes that meet the strikers or the forwards that drop off are innumerable. I think he, I was counting, he did it six or seven times against uh, OM on his own. So I think that might be helping him a little more. And, you know, like, I'm a, I've, I don't mind Mary Penn, but that uh, redundant goal is a good example of, you know, why maybe Zassi might've been a better pick in that spot because really that was just basically all pace. Like he probably should have been able to cover that space and, he didn't have the the pace or necessarily awareness to to get
0: there. Yeah, Maripan perhaps proving more valuable for his goals uh, at the moment uh, rather than his defensive contributions in in those kind of moments. Um, let's let's talk Marseille then. Mo, OM were leading at half time. From a Marseille perspective, was it a case that, that of, of something going? Something going wrong, or or was it simply Monaco growing into the game after that kind of early setback?
3: Yeah, I mean definitely the latter. I think um, there was almost a feeling that OM oh, scored a bit too early, you know, uh, in in their approach against sort of relative big opponents in Liga. And what you do see is a low block um, absor- absorbing a lot of the pressure and then playing on a counter and just trying to eke out a goal and manage the game out to completion. That goal came too early. came via a speculative long ball and and I think um I think it was a Kaya Enrique uh, was caught out and, and in the end Rodoni just had the pace to beat him and then beat the goalkeeper. Um, and from then on it was it was that was that. You know, um, after the first 15 minutes, very bright from OM. Monaco just looked really, really good. Ben Yader in particular had a couple of chances. They were growing in strength. Towards the first half, at the end of the first half, uh, Monaco perhaps should have should have levelled, um, and in that case, I don't think there was a lot of um, impetus from the coach to change things up. I don't think there was a lot of impetus um, from the player to sort of manage and perhaps um, put the you know set themselves up to to continue to repel Monaco. Um, I think it was a you know big ask to. Um, say stay defensive for the for the you know seventy odd minutes uh, that they were in the lead and like in the Rennes game um, that we saw um, in in early December which was the first of Marseille's sort of defeats in in this run uh, the players heads just dropped and in the end you could just really if you're you know if, if you're from a Marseille point of view you're just waiting for the opponents just to um, equalise take the lead and then and then end the game. Um it was a very disappointing result and I think something that um yeah, you know, we touched upon this a lot last week, um, you know, of the myriad of issues that's currently inflicted, Marseille and in one thing that I found very interesting was Stev Mandanda after the game um saying that this will actually probably take a while to fix. Um there's there's just something mentally gone wrong. I think part of it is uh, it has to do with the coach, but I think there's there's something in the team mentality-wise, professionalism, I don't know. Uh, of course, there have been reports in the media of, of, of falling out between two of the team stars, Dimitri Payet and Florian Tolvan, who who incidentally both you know, don't seem to be on the same pitch. Um, you know, one comes on, one comes off. Um, and we're in this sort of situation where at least two of the front three um, are hauled off around the hour mark because I not find it so difficult to create... Decent, a game-changing chances, um, and and that it, that's another defeat that puts them, um, you know, struggling now to just hold on to a Europa League place. Um, assuming that the French Cup is won by a team that that is above them, um, and yeah, there's a very very tough set of fixtures to come. Um, that does include PSG, Lille, and Lyon by the by, by February, but also. Ren next weekend, um, Lens, Bordeaux, Nantes away, all very very tricky games. So, of course, there's a couple of movements in the transfer window, um, but there has to be an immediate reaction, and I don't think anybody in Marseille sees it. The
0: the position that Marseille are in, I mean, uh, obviously you mentioned again, we've we've. Talked about these issues before, but you mentioned them. a lot of the kind of the player, not just player form, but the kind of relationships between the players on and off the pitch, particularly that that stuff that's come out recently about Tovan and Payet. You know, I think Viaspa said he didn't think that they'd be spending their holidays together, which was kind of putting it putting it lightly. Um, you know, surely the the buck does have to fall with the coach uh, on a run like this, um, and we've seen you know more and more speculation suggesting that 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 uh, Andre Villas-Boas is 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 in trouble, you know, is on very very thin ice now, and I think it was Movistar who were uh, in Spain who were making links, uh, who were linking the club with uh, with um, with uh, p- potentially sacking him and and replacing him with Ernesto Valverde, um, obviously former Barcelona manager. I don't know how much uh, how much uh, truth is in is in that, you know, but but this is the reality is this is three defeats in a row uh, for Marseille and Ligue 1 for the first time in in five and a half years. You know, is is do you still feel uh, you know, as a Marseille supporter that, that Andre Villas-Boas is the right man for the job?
3: Um, no. It's it's the short answer. <laughs> um and, and it, it does pain me, you know, to say that because I think he did a fantastic job last year. We've spoken about how I think everyone can can say that he overperformed last year with the with the tactically um, inflexible team but also with with a, a playing squad I think was levels below um, than that of, of, of their rivals um, I just think that everything that went well last year in terms of the player relationship the man management has just evaporated completely and I think as you say the buck has to stop with the coach I think we've plenty of accused him with um, some of his setups particularly in games where oh am I expected to dominate the players having sort of been drilled into defend, 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 operate a low block, they've just forgotten how to um attack going up um going up the other end. And I, I draw a lot of parallels with what Arsenal um have seen in the Premier League, obviously with Mikel Arteta over the over the autumn period where, you know it, where they've did improve their defence uh, to a certain extent, but that really nullified their potency going on in the final third. And we've seen that with Benedetto, Torvan and Pai Hetu, who, between the three of them, barely even finished a 90-minute period um, over the last month or two. And Villas-Barras has been superbly erratic in the media, like, incredibly. And that is something that is massively galling uh, to to the fan base. Of course, you know, even when the going was good, he, he had been entertaining desires to leave. He's quipped that, you know, contractual... Obligations in France is what's stopping him from signing, you know, twelve-month contracts. That's his preferences, and and his idea that he actually doesn't want to stay at Marseille long term. You know, his his head doesn't seem in it, um, and uh, we all know that manager the mouth off in the media is one that's going to really last the course. Um, and so, there's a high possibility that he's not going to be there at the end of the season. I think he's earned, obviously, the time now to. Focus on results. And I think Marseille are not going to um, move him um, for 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 you know in any way because of his you know relationship with with the with the players still is overall decent, but also the fact that there's not managerial um, perhaps uh, other suitable options that are ready to come uh, mid season. If Marseille can get to the end of the season and have a clear idea of what the finances will look like, um, what the status is of the players that are out of contract, and if they can hold on to a Europa League spot, I think that would be a good base for a new manager to work in. But I I don't see Avb staying on past the end of the year.
0: You heard it here first, uh, listeners. One perhaps more positive um, aspect to to life uh, at the Velodrome is that they have, of course, secured... Uh, finally the signing of Arkadius Milik from Napoli, uh, initially on loan. He uh, made his debut uh, in that clash at the weekend. Mo, what, what did you make of his first outing in a in a Marseille shirt?
3: Um, it wasn't good. <laughs> but you know what? I, d- I don't blame him at all whatsoever because obviously much of the ball was in the Monaco half and I think he probably found out, um, you know, the propensity of his teammates to pass the ball and to to carve out opportunities for him. I think he's realised very, very quickly that, I mean, he's he's the type of player to do this anyway, but he's going to have to sort of operate outside of the penalty box and get in a bit deeper to retrieve the ball and carve out opportunities, particularly where his uh, teammates are absolutely struggling to do so. Um, I thought it was bold of AVB to bring him on um, for for 30 minutes while the game was actually still in play. Um, I think... um, I would have expected him to come on for the last 10, 15 minutes. This is a player that hasn't played at all since November for Poland, hasn't played in, for, you know, in club football since Champions League um, in August for Napoli. So um, it, it was it was surprising, um, but he didn't impact the game in any way. And it's going to be a steep learning curve. I wonder if he will start against Rennes at the Velodrome on Saturday, but this is a player that is isn't going to change, obviously, the fortunes overnight, but he does certainly um, excite the fans. He's got a decent goal record um, at Napoli. He's, uh, you know, a a fine name. Um, And the fact that he's chosen to come to Marseille and recognise that it's a very difficult time means that he's up for the fight. Obviously, he's got to perform um, for the Euro. So, you know, we might have a Pai-esque player where, um, you know, just before an international tournament, they might start racing to get the stats up so it'll be good to see what the dynamic is um, he's been obviously very welcome by the team so I'm looking forward to that
0: maybe he's the man to to finally you know finally change turn things around for marseille in attack i mean that was five shots or less uh, in two league on matches for the first time since opta began collating stats which I believe was 2006, 2007. So, so maybe he is the man to to unlock the attacking potential of this team. We'll have to see. Just one last thing on on this game. Um, obviously, we had a debutant for for Monaco as well. Uh, 21 21 year old winger Crepandiata, um, who has just signed for 16 million euros, I believe, from from Club Bruges in in Belgium. Um, Eric, sim- similar question to you. Th- thoughts on um, thoughts on on well first impressions and also um maybe you could give us a little background into him as a player yeah uh, i i i thought he was impressive for a
1: player that was only signed on thursday i think he he looked live wire he looked ready to get into the game you know i, I think maybe similarities to another player who's arrived in the gun this season uh, jeremy doku, someone who's um you know willing to run the run the opponents and and play with an aggressive style. Uh, and I, I, think that that, that, that bodes well. I think that that sort of, uh, yeah, Monaco don't really have a player who, you know, is willing to break the lines like that. Maybe Jelson Martins a little bit, but I don't think, I think Martins for his, you know, dri- considerable dri- dribbling ability and pace. is also not someone who necessarily has, um, uh, quite, quite an eye for goal. Uh, so I, I think that he's a, he's a player whose versatility, you know, it does well, will do well for Monaco. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, born in Senegal, came to Europe, uh, played a year in, in Norway at Sarpsborg. Has uh, spent the last two and a half years uh, at Club Brugia in, in Belgium, uh, has done very well, won the league title, played in the Champions League with them, um, you know, had scored a reasonable amount of goals in the current campaign. Um, yeah, a winner a, a who can score and create, uh, I, th- I think is something that is, is something that Monaco want uh, and, and need. Um, I think that, you know, that's probably what they thought they had when they brought in Kate Balde a couple of years ago, but that didn't really pan out. Um it's it's definitely a profile that that can help most tactical systems, particularly if that's a player who's willing to work uh as as Nico Kobach expects his, his side to
0: Thanks for that, Eric. That's great. Let's uh let's move on now to our final match from the uh the weekend, which is uh PSG versus Montpellier. PSG Welcomed Montpellier to the Parc des Princes, having returned to the top of Ligue 1, uh, despite um, yet to truly convince under Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, The visitors, however, found themselves um, have found themselves continuing to drop down the table after a strong start to the season. They are now winless in their last six matches, as we've discussed recently on this podcast, in part due to injuries and COVID-19 cases. Um, and no thanks in this case to the sending off of goalkeeper Jonas Omlan in the 19th minute. That series has now stretched to seven as PSG ran out 4 0 winners, in arguably their most impressive display so far under Mauricio Pochettino. Kale, uh, there's been a lot of praise for, for Paris Saint Germain in the way they, they played this weekend. Uh, did you see signs there that there was a fair amount to be excited about? of things starting to click? under Pochettino or is that simply the the kind of drubbing we expect PSG to give a team who go down to 10 men at the, at the Parc des Princes?
2: I don't think that Montpellier did themselves any favors, but I think that you're starting to see PSG click a little better. Yeah, I would say so. I think, I think Pochettino still has stuff that he needs to figure out in that lineup and, I think one of the things that he can't do, but that the club still really needs to address is just the lack of depth at fullback, because I I think that's really going to be an issue if, if the club wants to achieve in the champions league and even win in France this year, the way that some of the other clubs are playing. But I was kind of surprised at some of his choices against Montpellier and that how well they paid off. Like I think uh, Mbappe, was playing a lot on the right side, which was surprising to me. And I always thought he was a lot less effective there, but he ended up having a really good game. I thought and was making a lot of intelligent runs and smart movements. And I think one of the, the interesting things was that it took him further away from, uh, Neymar, which I, I feel like opened the pitch up a little bit for him. I mean, when they were both playing on the left side, they combined so well, but also they tend to, uh, on occasion, getting each other's way, and I think this allowed them some of that freedom to really, you know, okay, this this area of the pitch, this half space, all of this is yours to work in, and uh, and don't worry about kind of getting in anyone's way. And I think maybe De Maria is also a, a better player uh, in that sense for him because he's looking to slide them in or play those balls. But I think it, it's starting to look really good, and honestly, it's starting to look a lot like the four-two-two-two that uh Tuchel played this time last year that had PSG looking like one of the best teams in Europe surprisingly so um and maybe he's trying to, he saw that and he's trending toward it I'm not sure but it's definitely starting to look a lot like
0: that formation and that setup yeah you mentioned that 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 four-two-two-two two, two, uh setup that we we saw last season you know the the super attacking um um with the super attacking front four um what one one player who was a big part of that was Mauro Icardi um who seems to have come back into the fold since uh, since Pochettino has has uh, taken over the reins i mean yes he's back from injury but you know even before that uh, it was very clear that that Moise Kean was preferred in that central striker role um mo do you get the sense that that Icardi has now displaced Kane again um you know in the in the struggle in in that in that pecking order because he he scored a goal again this weekend
3: yeah, such is life, isn't it, where we were really um, digging up for Moistad King about two, two three podcasts ago. But, you know, the pendulum swung again and Dick Hardy has certainly taken to, um, you know, in, coming into the team again. He's, he's, he's doing really well. He's um, scoring amongst the goals and, and really um, living up to that fantastic four um, sort of tag that was, uh, that was in. You know, I think that's what, three and four? um for so Icardi recently, including three assists as well. Um so you know, not just approaching the golf, but really getting in amongst the you know, the the creative um passes and, and, and setting on goals for his teammates. That's obviously going to please Pochettino. Um and I guess, you know, PSG are going to have um in the business end of the season because Keane has obviously done very, very well and there's going to be tricky league on games. It's going to be tricky away fixtures to the likes um, of Lens and Angers and, and the like. Um, and that's where I think Keane's going to be useful and the rotating option is going to be useful, particularly uh, given maybe Neymar or Mbappe, the night off where um, where demands exist. Um, and with the Champions League, teams as well, there's going to be still three competitions. So and Paris Saint-Germain are by no means... You know, breaking free at the top of the league, at all, um, but Keane's going to really be a squad option. Obviously, it's to Pochettino's benefit that Icardi has started after recovering from his adductor issues. Started very, very well.
0: He has indeed. Um, another player who is 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 looking uh, back to his best is Kylian Mbappe. Um, you know, after after a, a, a slightly dry spell, he is now uh, scored two goals. Uh, Literally, just in that game, the first to open the scoring, the second in a in a three goal blitz in four minutes in the in the second half, um, and he's obviously in talks to sign a new deal. Uh, he recently told Telefoot Shen, "We are talking with the club. I'm also reflecting on it. If I sign, uh, it will be to invest myself long term here. I feel good here. I will soon have to make a decision. If I extend, it's so that I stay." Eric. First of all, do we expect Kylian Mbappe to stay? And, and secondly, do we, do we get the sense that he's implying here that if he does sign a new deal, he has no desire to leave in the next few seasons? Because that, to me, suggests that if he does make the decision, the, the decision to stay, then he's invested in, in the longer-term project here.
1: I, I, feel, like he, I feel like he's leaving. Uh, and... I, this. <laughs> Uh, this is, and it's because the, these links with Messi won't go away, and I think that I think that yes, Mbappe is you know perhaps the global star of the future, but at the same time, you know he is probably really the club's only saleable asset given his given his talent, uh, given his ability. Um, I, I do find it strange that the club would you know choose to let his contract almost run down as a result of this. Um, but I, I think that if we do look at QSI's uh, desire to, um, you know, be this this sort of you know global phenomenon, uh, I think the star power of Messi would just prove too attractive to them, uh, and that you know letting Messi go as as a way to a fit him into the team, or sorry, letting Mbappe go as a way to a fit Messi into the team, and b uh, be able to absorb his wages makes a little bit too much sense. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I where I'm at on that. I, it's it's not something I want to see. I think that uh, the visibility that Mbappe brings uh, football in France, foot, uh in Liga, is invaluable. But uh, at the same time, you know, to have you know a global superstar uh, who you know is well known from his time at Barcelona in the fold uh, is I, I think something that's too irresistible. And also, you know. Th- Mbappe to me is just being way too coy about this. You know, why, why put the club and the fans on tenor hooks? You know, this is a city where he grew up. I think that he, he ought to have, he ought to have, he ought to evince a clearer idea of his passion for the team and, and what he sees his role in is it, is it going forward? And I think that perhaps for him, you know, if he sees playing alongside Neymar, uh, potentially playing alongside Messi, uh, is he the the main? Is he the main focus of the way the team play in any of those situations? Well, he's, I think the answer there is no, and I think that you know, given what he's achieved, um, I think he, he perhaps he ought to be, uh, particularly as you know, as, as Neymar turns twenty nine next month. Um, I think he ought to be, but I think that it, there may be an underlying level of frustration there with uh, the way that. PSG has sort of fostered this idea of, the, of the, the cult of a superstar around Neymar since the two of them arrived in 2017. Uh, uh, and and that, that situation has been, you know, obviously a, a frustrating one for him. I mean, he's, you know, he's the one who, despite his success with France, who has been castigated uh, for his performances to the team far more often than others. Uh, you know, he has to shoulder mm-hmm. more of the blame, as it were, at, at, at a relatively young age. Um, but the fact is the situation isn't played to him. I mean, even, even here, even scoring two goals, I mean, he's really playing as a second striker on Friday. Um, you know, it's, it's not a system that's necessarily designed to suit him. Um, and I, I kind of wonder if, you know, if, if he doesn't, he hasn't wearied at that after, after, after this length of time.
0: Yeah, I, I guess he's gonna. It's going to be a case of waiting to see what kind of role he would play under Mauricio Pochettino and and what kind of role he wants to play at the he will play at the club because we had that 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 pretty dramatic um, speech from him. I think it was at the UNFP uh, um, presentations a couple of years ago where he was saying you know that he he wanted at that time to to be to have a bigger role at the club and kind of left many many feeling that perhaps he was. Um, he was giving the club an ultimatum and suggesting you know that there was potential for him to go so you know if if he isn't to be the main man in the under this um in the in the Pochettino era then perhaps you know perhaps we will see him make a move somewhere uh you know to the likes of a real madrid or a barcelona um which would certainly be um you know a, a huge shake up for psg um for a player who i'm sure they would have wanted to uh, to to build this team uh, around for or have envisaged building this team around for a long, long time. Let's just focus on um, Montpellier now, if we may, um, who were obviously uh, trounced here, as we, uh, as we mentioned, um, Kale, um we've talked before on, on this show, um, the, about the, the injury issues and the COVID issues that Montpellier have had. But the truth is they've been on a, on an abysmal run for a long time now. Um you know, despite his kind of the the the, the stability that he's brought, surely uh, Michel De Zaccaria needs to be coming under some kind of pressure here for these these recent results and these recent performances.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought the decision defensively against PSG to start that match was really strange. I thought going with, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of options, but I thought going with uh, two center backs against that PSG side and them being Pedro Mendes and Victorino Hilton was (laughs) pretty surprising to be honest and then and they paid the price for that decision really early like that was just a Mbappe turned on the Jets nobody could turn with him and Omnac came out and fouled him and like was rightfully given a red card but even in that situation I look at I carry in and I think what is it that you're trying to achieve with this you know either you are saying we're just going to defend really really deep all match and sort of cross our fingers or we're going to work really hard to hold a high line with two relatively slow defenders so I do think that there's there's probably some pressure on his shoulders I I don't know what the ceiling for Montpellier is really I guess that's that's what I'm struggling with right now I think They have a lot of really nice, talented players like TG Savannier. I really like their front three quite a bit. I think they're weak down the flanks, to be honest. And then in defense, they're kind of older and slower. So I don't want to be too hard on them because I'm not really sure that we should have these high sort of expectations that they should be finishing in Europa League places. But also, if this continues, then you don't have any choice but to start asking if a new manager is necessary and i think they're they're probably at that point now
0: just a, a quick word from you in light in light of what you were saying there you know because you do make make the i think completely fair point that they do have several very talented players in that squad and also perhaps have to contend with a, a with a usually very reliable but also lest we forget the aging central defense what what, what do you feel that, is the best system here to get the best out of the players in that side? You know, we've seen De on up for a 3-5-2 in the past earlier on this season in their good run, which then kind of turned sour. It was a, a 4-3-3. At the, at the weekend, it was kind of a 4-4-1-1, which looked pretty pretty defensive. I mean, yeah, Kale, what, what do you feel is the system that could, could perhaps get them out of this rut and get the best out of the players they have at their disposal?
2: <sighs> it's a really tough question. Which is why I can kind of sympathize with them because I look at their squad and it and again, they have some nice players, but they don't really fit together that well. I I think the back five is still probably the best possible scenario that you come up with because at least then you're getting a lot of the width. Uh, You can counterattack, which they could do really effectively. You know, you have a nice base to build off of with your three players up front that work really well together. I think the real question is like what what are you supposed to do with that back line? And then what do you do in midfield? Because i I look at Teji Savanier and I just feel like he can influence a game so much, but he's not really getting on the ball as much as you would want him to. And then, at the base of that met midfield, I think Telec has been a you know a decent player. Ferry has been good. And then he even tried Chotek for a while there when everybody was injured, and and that didn't really work out. I, I just think, yeah, this lineup has some nice pieces, but it's it's not fully formed. And I think they're trying to he's really trying to push it all together. It's not, and it hasn't really been working over the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, it does look um, it does look like they need some kind of consistency here, given how regularly things are chopping and changing. Um, and that could be the key to getting the best out of this side. Uh, let, let's move on to our penultimate segment of the show um, where we take a look at any if there are any other talking points that maybe we've missed from the world of French football since we last spoke. Cale. Um, I'll come straight back to you there. Do you have anything uh, anything you'd like to raise from the, the weekend? I just thought that Lille
2: were great again. I thought that that was really... I really liked uh, that match they played against Wren. At the same time, I think Wren are looking really, really shaky, and I'm not totally sure what's going on there, but uh, it's definitely something to keep our, your eye on. And uh, Yeah, I really like this Lille team. I, I love the depth that they have. And uh, I think that they showed again this week that they don't need to have the ball, they don't need to have possession to dictate a game. They can still sit back in that four-four-two shape and really stress their opponent out.
0: Yeah, little little brilliance again, still level on points with PSG at the top of the table with the most points they've accumulated after this number of games since, I, I forget the year, but some po- point in the 1940s maybe, 1950s, I don't know if anyone has that but you know a hugely hugely impressive Seeing continuing from them Eric what about you anything caught your eye this weekend
1: yeah I just I, I wanted to give a little shout for my Guardian piece this week uh, talking about Mess and Federico Antonetti. Um since he came back uh, after his wife's unfortunate passing uh, he came back the international break in October uh, the team have, have uh, played 15 matches won six drawn six lost just three um they have only one loss in their last eight. Um, you know, he brought in, uh, Kiki Kuyate in the summer, uh, who's been brilliant. Mali international, uh, made the switch to a back three and, uh, you mess have, have had one of the best defenses in the league. I think they had the third best defense, uh, and at their eighth, there's a point off the European places. Uh, and they're, he's doing this all with a considerable, uh, number of injuries. Of course we have, um, uh, Manuel Cabit, who was unfortunately injured in that car accident last season. Uh, but um, uh, v- Wagner, their, one of their star summer signs, took a very long time to get back up to speed and has just now been starting matches. Uh, Vincent Pajo, who was very good since since arriving um, last year, has been out for most of the season. Um, Matthew Udall as well. Uh, of course, we can't forget Ibrahim uh, Nian. Uh, Who was the club's leading scorer, six goals to start the campaign, uh, is probably out for the season. Uh, There's the sale of Habib Diallo that the Messi have had to deal with. Uh, So, you know, what he's done here with his tactical shift uh, to bring in to play those three quality defenders he has, along with Kuyate, of course, there's Dylan Braun and John Boy, Um, you know, bringing Farid Boulai into a central role, he's, he's really been impressive. Uh, I think it's two goals and three assists in the last four matches for him. A uh, goal and an assist oh. uh, against Not yesterday. Uh, yeah, just just that tactical shuffle that he's done is is really impressive. And I mean, this is a team that on paper should have no chance of even surviving. Uh, but you know, I think is making a real fist of it for Europe. And if you look at their upcoming fixtures, uh, I think the only team above them they play in the next couple of months is Bordeaux. Uh, and I you know, I think that they really have a chance to. Uh, may hey, cable well, the Sunshines because you know I, I think a lot of times with these teams that are so defensively sound we kind of worry about them having a real uh fluidity and attack but I think in Bulaya and Aaron Lea Seca who's you know scored again at the weekend as well uh I think that they have you know the quality and attack to sort of make the difference I think you know again these teams run up against teams that are also fairly negative perhaps they don't have uh you know a, a level of quality to take the game by the scruff of the neck but i think they showed against not this weekend and not side that again you know not going great guns but uh hadn't lost to that point under um under Dominic. so yeah again i think that what Antonetti's doing is really impressive do i think that they're going to actually finish in the european places i'd be very surprised um but i think that having a team which has a defined way of playing and uh, a defined identity makes a really nice story it's something that you know, I think we've enjoyed in recent seasons with uh, Ras, for example or uh, or uh, Angers in recent seasons going back a few years to their promoted season um, I think we've re- we really enjoy these sort of narratives uh, you know and it shows the depth of the league and, and how tactical ingenuity and playing with a level of imagination can really uh, pay dividends in ways that are unexpected
0: yeah met's very much deserving of their of their applaudits and a, in particular antonetti who you know hasn't had the best uh reputation in France in more recent years because of some less successful stints at recent clubs, but doing very 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 well there indeed uh and mo, let's hear what you have to offer us
3: um yeah, so um there's actually one team doing worse off uh than Antonetti uh, in, in Ligue 1, so I just wanted to put that to the team. Do they know which side that is?
1: In terms of form, yeah, not to that the one,
3: but what? One and eighteen. Well, I mean, in terms of well, looking at the short-term form, about six, seven games.
0: Is well, it, it yeah. on
3: the table. Sorry, what was that? Is it Montpellier? It is Montpellier, um, which is it strikes me as a bit of a shame to say because obviously. I think they are a well-regarded team. Michelle de Zaccaria is a well-regarded manager. Um, And I think sort of the way that they go around their business over the last, on and off the field, over the last perhaps two, three seasons, there's been an air of stability and um, and a good sort of base for them to build on. And, you know, it's been a very, very poor um, last couple of games. I know that, you know, COVID has afflicted them. I don't want to be in particular too harsh, but, you know, they've been significant defeats to teams that they were initially regarded as being maybe dark horse European rivals. Um, they were in the top six uh, come to the end of November. Um, you know, Twice have been defeated by Paris, uh, Monaco, OM, um, Lille in particular, but also um, you know, throwing away points at Brest, an unfortunate um, draw to, to Nantes, and obviously that late reversal against Lille. Um, it's a bit of a shame. You know, they actually worse off at this stage um for the first time since twenty sixteen, seventeen. 17 um, wow. so that's probably since the dark days of Frederick Hans and obviously the Twilight era of Roland Corbis, and obviously they've been in the top ten almost religiously since then. Um and it's a shame because you know, they've lost a bit of their swagger. I mean, you still got Andy Deloch and Gaeton Labor who who, you know, might be sold, the latter might be sold still. In in January, but you know Tejasavania in particular, um, you know after a layoff is, is still coming back, but you know Montpellier is still look aside actually a bit bereft of ideas. Um, you know do grab a couple of goals, but struggle defensively as well. Um, and I just you know interested to see over the next couple of games um, where where to go from there. You know are they starting to sort of fall into the bottom half of the table, or how will their career? The sort of arrest that slide, but also what team will they be left with at the end of the January transfer window? So there's still more
0: to come. Yeah, still more to come. I just hope they're on one of those desert streaks where, you know, usually it comes kind of later in the season where they find themselves kind of fifth or so in the table and then things kind of fall apart. Maybe that's just happening early in this, the, 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 the pandemic season and last season being halted has just kind of set them off their rhythm. Maybe, maybe that's it. Who knows? We'll see. Um, Finally, we'll be uh, ending this week's show with the uh, young player segments where we uh, provide a bit of a spotlight on um, one of the young players uh, performing well in Liga and of course, dubbed the League of Talents. Um, We'll be starting with someone, uh, or sorry, going for someone a little bit older uh, this week um, as we focus on Dijon goalkeeper Anthony Rassiopi. Uh, the 22-year-old was born in Geneva, Switzerland, and came through the youth setup at Swiss club CS Chenois before joining the Lyon Academy in 2012. Um, the Swiss under-21 international has since um, had his first season of Ligue 1 action, but sadly not at, uh, at Lyon, but at Burgundy club Dijon, um, where he moved in the summer and has impressed um, uh, a stat that particularly caught my eye is that uh, it's a stat from last week, sadly. So I don't have the updated figures since um, the match against Strasbourg, which took place this weekend. But um, uh, according to L'Equipe, uh, he has the third highest save, uh, save percentage in Europe's top five leagues this season after Yano Black and Kaylor Navas at PSG. Um, and that's uh, 80.5% uh, for Anthony Rassiopi. So uh, with that in mind, Eric, um, could you tell us a little bit about Anthony Rassiopi and and your take on on his season so far for Dijon because he's been been one of the one of the the high points in what has otherwise been a season of a lot of lows.
1: Yeah, Dijon have definitely they've been better under David Menares, This is true, but I think that you know relegation is going to continue to be a concern for the rest of the season. Yeah, so you know he's a player who again didn't have much of an opportunity. Leon Anthony Lopez has been you know, the undisputed starter there for you know, the better part of a decade now. And I think that, uh, you know, with Lopez being 30, 31, again, not, not old. I can't remember exactly how old he is, but you know, youngish for a goalkeeper, I think that RSGP um, took the chance to leave. And I think that, uh, sort of a lot of things have fallen in his way, the club getting rid of both, uh, Gomis, um, uh, Teren and, uh, well, sorry Arsenal fans to bring this one up. Uh, Rennerson <laughs> to, to going to Arsenal, uh, there was an opportunity there for him. Um, but interestingly enough, um, even as that was happening, uh, the club also brought in Saturn and a log Bay from New York, uh, which meant that okay, maybe he does maybe he's back to being a backup. Uh, he certainly had immense talent. I mean he uh, is the Swiss under21 national team goalkeeper uh, and they finished level on points with France in their uh, under 20, in their Euro qualifying group no mean feet um, I think uh, and obviously he was you know, he was brought there under the aegis of Coupe who is someone who knew his work well and and knew how he could develop knew what sort of potential he has and he's he's borne that out um, that save potential is that save percentage I think speaks to his style of play uh, Coupe has gone on record as comparing to Fabian Barthez he's someone who who has wanted to be a goalkeeper from a young age he's not exactly uh, the biggest, but he has a, a stocky and powerful build. Um and I think that his his physicality uh and athleticism plays a big role here in 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 the way that he plays. Uh you know, so this is a this is a goalkeeper who you know might not have perfect command in the air, might not be the best distributor, might not be the uh the Anderson or the Allison that we talk about as being you know so so or Manuel Neuer as being so fine with their feet. Um but it is you know sort of a an old school style French goalkeeper you know maybe you know we, we talk as well about Bartez as someone like Stephane Ruffier who uses that power and that, that 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 sort of physicality to impose themselves on the game in a very uh, very powerful way um, so yeah I, th- I think that he's someone who's and uh, he also you know has made he stopped a penalty in his first game uh, you know sort of his legend grew from there if you will. Um, but again, I think that, that Coupe is someone who has a long, you know, career in the game, and a, a, is someone who's not, you know, there's no nothing to be gained from him pulling punches. And I think that uh, his having replaced Alagbe has coincided, uh, dovetail, whatever you want to say, with uh, as well as the appointment of Linares with Dijon's improvement in form, and he's he's been a big part of that, um, you know. And this is this is something that also comes as the team is sort of chopped and changed in defense. Uh, you know, Bruno quilemanga has been there pretty consistently, but it's been some matches with Jonathan Panzo, some matches with Senu Kulabali. Um, so it's not as if he's had uh, even the benefit of a team that, that is, has a reputation of being solid defensively, or even even a consistent first choice of eleven. Uh, so to have to have had the success he's had, uh, again in relative terms, given the team's placement in the table, uh, is really impressive, and I think augurs well for for the season. You know, if you if he can, uh, you know, if we t- think about you know, Rufier playing per- perhaps behind the likes of Loic Perrin um, or Mugmanion playing behind uh, Sven Botman and um, Jose Fonch. You know, that playing behind that sort of defense could, I think, p- pay even bigger dividends for him. You know, if, if Dijon go down, I'd be very surprised if Ratioppi did the same.
0: That's, that's an interesting point you make there, Eric. And, and, and I guess the question I want to end on is that we've we've seen kind of a, quite a few very talented goalkeepers emerge, particularly in the last few years. In Ligue 1, kind of guys under the age of 25, the likes of 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 Lasseneur at Brest and and Bernardoni at uh, at Neiman, and now Angé, of course he was he was from Bordeaux but on loan at, at Niemann uh, and Raikovic at uh, at Rams and and Edouard Mendy of course as well. Uh, you know, do, do you feel um, where do you feel Rastioffi kind of ranks amongst those those goalkeepers based on based on what you've seen of him so far in in a Dijon shirt?
1: I think we need a little more of a sample size. I I don't think he's again, like I said, I don't think he's as, as complete of a goalkeeper uh, as some of those. Um, you know, I would have him behind Larsenner, certainly. I mean, Larsener just, you know, every time I watch Presta, he seems to come up up with, you know, more than a handful of really brilliant saves. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's hard to say, but I I think he has the quality to you know, be at a a team that's challenging for the Europa League uh, going forward? I think if, well, okay, let's see, uh, you know, could Saint-Étienne look at him as a replacement for for Jesse Moulin, who's 35, 36, um, and certainly doesn't seem too happy uh, with his situation there? Um, You know, a team that is more ambitious or, you know, could Marseille, would you have him at Marseille, Mo?
3: Sorry, I was on mute there. Um, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I think no. I just as as a, as a team yeah. You know, I mean, Uelain
1: Pele probably is the best backup goalkeeper in in France, but he's thirty
3: eight. Is he? Do you do, do you believe so? Thirty
1: seven. Uh,
3: well,
1: outside of Sergio Rico. Well, actually,
3: I yeah. I mean, obviously, I think Sergio Rico on paper, Uelain Pele in particular has, has has done okay, but he's thirty and he's been on the bench. You know, probably what uh, you know, playing three, three, four games over two, three seasons. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think what Marseille actually needs is a what they call in France, a a, a, a numero un bis. Um, you know, to, to plan for that long term instead <laughs> under succession, not to be a first team, not to be number one on the team sheet perhaps next year, but in the eight, next 18 months. Um, so absolutely, I think that could be a very viable option.
0: There you go. Well, potentially Anthony Rassiopi in an OM shirt. I'm sure Lyon fans would be delighted at the thought of that. Thanks very much for that, Eric uh, and Mo at the end there. And and thank you all for for joining me tonight, guys. Uh, As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales and I've been joined by Eric Devin, Muhammad Ali and Kale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football and have a great week.